Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Bible in a Year reading plan. We also have PDFs available on our website, grove.church. Yes, and as usual, as you're reading along, if there are questions that come up and you want us to take some time to answer those questions, uh, we would love for you to send them into us. And so you can do that one of two ways. One is via the old school email method uh, where you jump on the interwebs into your email and you compose a message and you can send it to info at grove.church. Make sure you put in the subject line a Let's Read the Bible podcast question uh, or a question for Evan and Aaron or Aaron and Evan, however you want to phrase that. That's fine. Just so that we, we know it's coming to us. Just your favorite uh, podcaster first. Yeah, first, please. Obviously. Um, whoever has the best voice. Uh, so Ooh. that, or you can send us an email or the second thing you can do is you can f- uh, send us a message, a direct message on our Facebook page. Uh, we are the Grove Church in Washington State. Uh, and you can uh, send us a message there into the direct message. We'll get it and put those questions in our notes. So we'd love for you to do that. All right. Well, today we are talking about Paul's letter to Titus or the book of Titus, if you prefer, but it is a letter. Yeah, so, it's a letter. There it's you an go. epistle. Uh, a, short, a short book. And compa- well, I mean, a lot of the New Testament books are a lot shorter, but this isn't going to be going through like, we can actually read a good chunk of the book here today as well. So uh, really good. But first, as far as the resources that we're using, the ESV Study Bible, Logos Bible Software, Reformation Study Bible, The Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez, and then The New Testament in His World by N.T. Wright and Michael F. Bird. All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about the book. Let's talk about Titus a little bit. Uh, Paul's letter to Titus was probably written in the early 60s AD, uh, sometime after Paul's first release from prison and his second imprisonment by Nero. Um, And then it was probably written around the same time as 1 Timothy as well. So Mm -hmm. if you remember, Acts 28 ends with Paul going to Rome, and it literally is just like, and Paul goes to Rome. The end. That's it. Uh, Which is actually like, for me, it's internal evidence as to how early Acts was written. Because (laughs) if you're writing a book about the the beginnings of the early church and you're not like, well, we don't need to include that part where Paul was killed by Nero. <laughs> that seems like that's a pretty important thing to include. It's true. Um, it also is like, it's it's weird not to include that Paul gets out of prison for a little bit and then goes back, which is what we learned those from the letters and, yeah. the, uh, and the different epistles that he writes, but we don't learn that from Acts. So it seems to me that Luke is writing essentially while he's with Paul, He's writing the gospel of Luke. He's writing the Acts of the Apostles. And then once they get to Rome, he wraps it up and he sends it back to Theophilus. And that's when it was written. So not that we're talking about Acts today, but that was just kind of a little aside there. Uh, Titus was a young Gentile man. No matter how much uh, my word processor tried to correct that into gentleman, he was a Gentile man <laughs> uh, who seems to have been saved under Paul's teaching. Uh, He travels with Paul for a season, but is eventually sent to go uh, get the church in Crete in order. This is where Titus is uh, pastoring when Paul sends him the letter. And then according to church tradition, this is actually where Titus remains. So it says that he dies while he is an elder at the church of Crete. Um, Obviously, church tradition not as reliable as, you know, the Bible, but seems seems legit to me. That's not like, that's not exactly like this crazy claim that like, and then Titus stayed there until he died. Like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Longevity. There you go. Uh, but Titus and Timothy are very similar in that they're both considered sons by Paul, or spiritual sons, I guess I should say. Uh, they're both Gentiles, uh, even though Timothy actually grew up in a house that they believed in God. He was not a Jew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and, that, t- and that, real quick, that's the difference between a Gentile. Like when when oh, it true. says specifically they're a Gentile, it means that they're not they're not Jew. 
They're not Jewish of descent. They're not of Jewish descent. That's how I want to say it. I always feel weird saying the word Jew. Just because I remember in high school, it was like a really derogatory term to, call, to say that. Yeah, people um, use it weirdly. So so it's funny. Like, that's why I stumble over my words sometimes when I'm using the word Jewish, uh, because it just, it's a little weird for me still. So, yeah. But yeah, so that's what it means. A Gentile, someone who is not Jewish of, of that descent. So that there you go. City. So yeah, but the interesting thing though is that Titus and Timothy, you can see their different personalities where um, you can see that Timothy's a little bit more timid. And that Paul has to kind of like encourage him, like, hey, yeah. don't let Come don't let, your show, yeah, don't let people look down on you. It's going to be fine. Um, and then Titus, it seems like he's ready to kind of go. And like, because in the letter of Titus, it's not like, hey, bud, listen, you can do this. It's going to be fine. Like, it's like, hey, make sure that you're confronting these people. <laughs> like, it's kind yeah. of like, hey, go, go do it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and then as far as how we're going to go with the outline, we're going to go with the Towns Gutierrez outline of five sections. Um, but it's also the outline if you, in the ESV study Bible, there's different names, but it's the, uh, essentially, if you just go by the titles, not by the chapters, that's how it works. So there you go. All right. You didn't see this, but I just rolled my eyes when he Evan said ESV. Did. It was so, a good time. Because if you know, if you listen for a while, we like to go back and forth about our favorite translations. Not that one's better than the other, but we just yeah, prefer Both translations ones. are trustworthy, so... No worries there. I just like the way mine reads better. CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Boom. All right. So the introduction, and I'm just going to say, honestly, we can just read this whole thing because it's four verses, uh, but this is how the letter starts. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the commander, uh, by the command of God, our savior to Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our savior. All right. So there you go. Um, like many of the apostles, he introduces himself as a servant. The actual word there is slave of Jesus. It's just kind of that word has different connotations now than it did back then, but mm -hmm. he's literally saying that his life belongs to Christ yeah. is, um, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, well, and yeah, and that's the difference between like biblically when the word slave is used, it's not referring to slavery as we understand it in American Christianity or American civilization. It's, it's this idea of like, I have, it's, they're well cared for, but they are, they're, in, they're giving their lives to do their master's bidding. And so it is this picture of, you know, a willing submission, um, but it's at the same time surrender. And we'll actually talk about that here in a, in a little bit as well, but that's, uh, that's what we call dear listeners. A teaser for later. You're welcome. Uh, and then, yeah, he introduces Titus as a true child in common faith. And then as always, Paul is just kind of like grace and peace from God, the father and Jesus Christ, our savior. So good deal. All right, let's move on to the actual real meat of the letter. So the first part we'll call the task of Titus. And it's in chapters one, verses 15 uh, through the end of chapter one, sorry, verse five through the end of chapter one. So uh, the church in Crete appears to be actually fairly new. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting difference between when you read First Timothy and Titus. Another difference, and this isn't so much about the, their personalities as it is about the church, the the types of churches that they're leading. Um, Timothy in Ephesus, the church has been there for a long time, yeah, and so he's dealing with different pro uh, problems. Whereas with Titus, like one of his tasks is like, hey, make sure all the churches on the island have elders. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that you can kind of see also the little differences between. Uh, their community as well, or communities as well. Um, let me see here. So actually, just to to get to that point, in verse 5 through 9, it says, this is why I left you in Crete. And again, this is Paul talking. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and do not open and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. Um, so Paul gives there, it's the same thing in First Timothy, where he gives a list of actually, these are who elders should be. Mm-hmm. And I also think sometimes we, it's not just this is who elders should be. Really, you could read it as this is who Christians should be. It's, it's just saying, like, like it's not like, well, I'm not a pastor, so I don't need to aspire to these things. Like, no, these are things that we should all aspire to. It's just the idea of if you're putting someone over a church, then they need to yeah. have these qualities for sure. So. Uh, there you go. And then Paul also warns of false teaching creeping into the church and Titus needs to stand up to those preaching a false, false gospel. With a lot of the later letters of Paul, this is what you're going to see where I think in the early letters is interesting because he's not competing with other gospels or other perversions of Christianity. He's essentially just competing with paganism. And then as time goes on, you start to see the really the beginnings of heresies that would take hold in the 100s and 200s. And this is where you get like mm-hmm. a bunch of the council. And I see you get the famous story where Santa Claus uh, came out of a meeting and punched a heretic in the face, which is just one of my favorite stories of all time, St. Nicholas. But like <laughs> in, there's a guy who uh, uh, was denying the deity of Christ and he just like got up in the meeting and just punched him and then went back and sat down. So there you go. Take that. For anyone who says that Santa isn't a Christian. It's probably Jack Frost. There you go, Jack Frost, classic Martin Short. Um, but anyway, that was a Santa Claus 3 reference yes, for you. Yes, it was. And guys, just so you know, the day we're recording this is the day Red Cup started at Starbucks. Oh, just so you know. So you Christmas season is in full swing. I'm not a coffee guy, so I didn't know that. But no, He's a tea drinker. It's true. Nothing wrong with that. Irish breakfast, Twinings of London. All right. So <laughs> anyway, um, boy, I completely lost where You're I was. You're good. So Paul was, Paul is, in essence, again, it goes back to what Evan already said, but the idea that Titus is starting churches and launching churches and having to set certain standards and parameters and, and clarifications. So he's coming alongside alongside Titus in this and then also reminding them, like, this is what it takes to be a leader within this church. This is what it takes to be this role. Um, and so it's important that that Titus is aware of these things. And again, the, contra- the contrary reality, the contrast, that's what I was looking for, um, to Timothy is, is that tension of pastoral, let me let me encourage you as you're leading this this congregation. Uh, but Titus is all about launching something brand new uh, to a degree and then right. coming alongside him to help him launch it properly. And the integrity of the of the start of the movement is essential uh, for the longevity of it. So well I think it's one of those things where I've said this I think I've said this a few times on the podcast, but one of my favorite analogies is the idea of Christianity being a boat. And as the boat is in the water longer, as it keeps moving on, just barnacles get onto the bottom of it. And if, and if you know anything about boat care, you need to like be getting rid of those barnacles. You can't just let them stay on because eventually it's going to destroy your boat. Yep. Um, and so what you see here is these false teachers are kind of the beginnings of those barnacles that are getting onto um, that are getting onto Christianity. And Paul's saying, "Hey, <laughs> like, like yeah. nip this in the bud right now." You even see with the Galat- when in his letter, I think it's the letter to the Galatians, where he says, "Why are you believing a different gospel than what I proclaimed?" Um, and that's an early letter of Paul. Yeah. So it is kind of interesting that that's all coming up. And it's funny because this will not, this will never end. This is an ongoing reality right. of the church since Christ ascended to heaven and the launch of the church. 
it's an ongoing recalibration and realignment to the gospel of Christ because it's so easy to have other quote unquote gospels, other ideas or other nuanced ideas that are not 100% accurate and true to infiltrate our belief system. And so even as Christians, we need to be identifying quote unquote those barnacles that are existing in our faith and in our understanding of truth and and be willing to do the work that's required to make sure that we're staying true to what's actually true. Yep. Um, and another, this is just kind of a funny aside, but apparently Paul doesn't think very highly. Is it Cretans or Cretans? I was thinking about that. I always think Cretans, but Cretans just sounds a little Because Cretan, cra- I know Cretan is also a word, but yeah. I don't know. Anyway, we'll go. Cretan's like a negative thing, but maybe that's where it comes from. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. You're such a Cretan. Like yeah. maybe that's where it's, huh, now I'm curious. We'll Interesting. Go, we'll go Cretan. If we're wrong, let us know. Uh, but anyway, in Titus, uh, this is in chapter 12, sorry, verses 12 through 14 of chapter one. It says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said that Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Aaron, you look like the man who just figured out the pronunciation. It's Cretan for sure, but this this is the definition of it. It's relating to or characteristic of the Greek island of Crete or its inhabitants. So like whenever, and so it makes me think that whenever someone uses the like a, the w- word Cretan to describe someone, it's almost. I wonder if it's a derogatory thing. So. Well, and here's the, here's the point, right? Because Paul literally says, someone, a, a, a Cretan prophet said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, which is really strong. It's basically saying that they never tell the truth. Uh, they're basically animals, and they're lazy, so and they bad. eat way too much. And then, the, but the next statement is, this testimony is true. Like Paul. So Paul does not think very highly of the of people that he left behind. So if you're ever called Crete. a Cretan, it, there you go. it typically means you're probably not that high. And enough. if we have any listeners in Crete, we love you. Okay, like we don't we don't necessarily we don't think carry this. on that stereotype. So, but grand, it is interesting. Yeah. So Paul gets after him, but he's telling them essentially, um, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in their faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Or essentially, he's telling Titus, listen, they need some tough love. The people who are drifting away from the gospel, you can't just coddle them back. You need to actually like full on like, no, you're wrong. Here's why you're wrong. Move forward from there. So it's it's interesting that he's giving, again, we're talking about the different advice that he's giving Titus mm-hmm. and Timothy here a little bit. All right. Well, chapter two, we move on and he's talking really about sound teaching. Um, and this is really the meat of the book, if you will. This is kind of like the straight, like if it's a little bit more dense, you're kind of getting these lists of things. So Paul's encouraging Titus on how to lead his own people. So the people in his church, and he gives, it's interesting because he separates it by age and also by gender. So he, but he gives some interesting advice for all these different categories of people. So older men and women, he talks about for both of them, there's a little bit of difference in between the two things, but um, sober-minded is one of the big things that he says over and over again. And then the idea is exercising self-control. So these people are, they should be the elders of the faith. Um, They should be the spiritual parents of the churches. And so Paul is saying like, hey, like when you're working with the el- the elders, like the older people, remind them that they, they shouldn't be being brash. They shouldn't be getting like quick to anger. They should be well-tempered. They should mm-hmm. have self-control. Like he's essentially kind of like giving Titus some advice on like, like you need to tell the people that this is how they need to behave. Um, and then the younger men and women, it's also self-control, but it's a lot more also about families. So mm-hmm. it talks about like, um, like wives taking care of children, like and basically like being uh, um, being able to structure the family well, and that if the family is 
kind of the growth of the church, not the only growth, but it's one of the growths of the church and you're raising up children in the idea of who Jesus is, then you need to help the younger men and women realize that this is their responsibility. Uh, He then goes on to tell basically Titus himself that he needs to be the example for the church to follow. So he's saying like, hey, like you need to strive to do these different things. He lists off a bunch of of character traits that Mm -hmm. the, the pastor should have. And there's an interesting aside at the very end, which I, and this is where I said it can be a little bit uncomfortable for modern ears, um, but it's the idea that servants are to serve their masters well. Um, and again, like the word there being slaves or indentured servants, um, I think in the ESV it's – I can't remember. Is it indentured servants that they use? Bond, um, bond servants is bond servants. that's used. That might be what it is, I think. Um, but it says, you know, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for Christ, uh, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for the good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So he's saying... The reason that older men and women should be sober-minded, the reason that younger men and women should be thinking about families, the reason that Titus needs to set an example for his church to follow, the reason that servants need to serve their masters well is because of the grace of God Mm -hmm. that has appeared for all people. And we see this theme in Paul a lot where he's very concerned with how the church appears to outsiders. Yeah. Um, and not in a phony way, like not in like, hey, pretend to be whatever it is. But the the one thing that you can tell that Paul does not want is people interacting with Christians and then immediately being like, okay, well, I don't want any part of that, which, I mean, boy, what a message for us today as well. <laughs> yeah, that's, right? that's not just a Pauline um, theme, but it really is kind of this idea of with the servant and master dynamic, if your servant becomes a Christian and then all of a sudden he just gets really rebellious doesn't do anything, is being terrible, what's that going to do? Well, it's going to immediately make everyone else in the household just be like, okay, well, I don't want any part of this. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Paul's talking about. Well, I think it's also important to realize like, the, like it's not just the reason is because of the grace of God, but it's also it's also the the the, the power to do so. It's, it's an understanding that the grace of God has appeared um, and it's what it allows us. It brings salvation all people, which then changes. Like it, it's, it's. I mean, Paul used the word. It trains us. Um, and that the the interesting thing there is, I mean, it's this ongoing thing. And I, I think I've said this all the time. I, I can't remember a time I haven't said it. Um, but our understanding of God's grace and the understanding of the gospel should actively, continually transform our behavior and our and our actions towards each other from an inward, outward perspective. Our behavior should not. It does, or our behavior does not change our understanding. It's our understanding that changes our behavior. And so there's this interesting tension that, I mean, this passage is, is I actually, it's one of the first passages I think I memorized um, when my wife and I were dating. We used to memorize scripture together. This was one of the first ones we memorized. Um, but it is, it's this picture that it, cha- it trains us. It, it, it empowers us to say no to worldly passions. It empowers us to live self-controlled lives. But it's understanding the grace of God in its fullest expression. And that's what Paul is always concerned with. That's why he spends so much time talking about it, reiterating it. And it's important even for us today to realize, we, we apart from apart from the grace of God, apart from understanding God's grace and His purposes and His plan through, through the gospel of Christ, 
we we are going to suffer. We're going to struggle mightily to, to accomplish and be everything he called us to be. But it hinges on our understanding of God's grace and the Holy Spirit's illumination to be able to empower us to live transformed lives. Um, but you see, the it's it's the reason why these are important. It's it's why, I mean, even as you said, just to reiterate that older men and women should be the sober-minded and families and um, Titus needs it. But it all comes back down to I mean, I go back to Philippians 2.13, it's the idea that it's God who works both in us to will and desire to do what pleases him. At the end of the day, my job is to stay as closely connected to Jesus as possible, as closely connected to Jesus as possible, and in doing so, trust that he is, that God is the gardener that he promises to be in John 15 and will prune and ensure that my life becomes fruitful as he intended it to be. My job is to stay connected, to stay rooted. Again, John 15, the vine. I'm supposed to stay connected to the, the vine. So, mm-hmm. um, but it is this duality. It is this this tension for us. And again, as as Titus is building this church, he's trying. He, Paul is exhorting him to build it on the right foundation with the right truths and the right power to see the church grow and impact um, Crete and all all surrounding communities too. So, yeah, I I think one of the things that chapters and verses are really great. But they also sometimes do us a disservice. Oh, absolutely. Because I think I agree. I think the idea of all of these all of these ideas that Paul is giving out are really connected. And this next this is a start of a whole new section called Good Works. It's a chapter three. Um, but this idea is very connected to the master servant idea in the previous chapter, where it says, "Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work." to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. So, okay, let's stop there. Uh, we'll read the second <laughs> part. So here's here's Paul's point. Um, and to bring it into like a modern American context that most of us don't like to hear, uh, essentially, he's saying submit to government officials. What? Like, so, <laughs> so, like, be obedient, be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. And here's the reason why. Dang, bro! Like, <laughs> be- because we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. It's it's kind of it reminds me of what we talked about last week a little bit with the idea of. Um, well, we were all prodigal mm-hmm. at one point. Um, and this one is saying, we were all led astray. We all did evil. We were all, um, quote unquote, bad people. Um, and it sets a poor example for us to not be willing to essentially to, to fight over things that are small. Yeah. And, and so it's, and it's a very uncomfortable thing for... I, I think it's a particularly American culture thing. And I'm a, and hear me, I'm a very proud American. Like I, I'm very patriotic. Fourth of July is like one of my favorite holidays. Um, I love reading up on the history of it. But it's an interesting cultural dynamic because the country is built off of the idea of rejecting government authority. And so, and even like um, today, right? There's a, lot, there's a lot of the idea of just like what, what, whatever side of the aisle you're on, it's this whole idea of yeah. like, well, you know what? And whoever the president is, I, I mean, think about how many people um, on the right right now just speak complete vile about Joe Biden. Just like when Donald Trump was president, people on the left spoke absolute vile about the leaders. And yet here it is, like the whole idea of like speak evil to no one. 
avoid quarreling. Like yeah. how often do we argue about, and I, I, this, this isn't meant to be like a political rant because I think it's about everything. Um, but it's this idea that we as Christians, we should be known for being loving, for being gentle, for being courteous, for not being the people where like, oh, we disagree with each other. Well, in that case, I hate you. Yeah. Um, and Paul here is reminding people that even in instances where we disagree, we as Christians are called to be agreeable. We're called um, to a certain sense to be submissive because there's things that are more important that are at stake. Um, there, I just watched quick, quick movie recommendation. I just watched the um, C.S. Lewis movie, The Most Reluctant Convert. Really good. Never uh, heard of it. It was like, I heard was it. Was it on Netflix or what? No, it was in theaters for like one day only. What? So I know. Me and Ashley went to go see it last night. Um, really good. But <laughs> I think it's, it's online now. I think. Why don't you tell me these things? I I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. C.S. Lewis is, is phenomenal anyways. If you've not read anything from C.S. Lewis or you've not even heard of the guys, you need to look them up. Absolutely. Because he was an absolute, I, I, I believe he was atheist. Mm-hmm. And that's what the story's that's what the movie's about. So he was an atheist and then came to faith. And so it's and then he wrote brilliant, brilliantly. Yep. And when it comes to defending the faith, mere Christianity, the Chronicles of Narnia. Is it the Chronic What of uh, uh, The but, Chronic What Calls of Narnia? Uh, but so anyways, if you haven't if you haven't read anything from him, you sh- you absolutely should. Sorry, I, I no, totally good. took a, took the, a side note. No, no, it's, I I I'm I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> you should absolutely read Lewis. Um, but the, so the movie is based off of his, mostly it's his memoirs, Surprised by Joy, but it ends with a section out of The Weight of Glory. And I'd, for, I'd, I'd forgotten hmm. about this, but it's, it's one of the most famous things that Lewis said. But the whole idea is that um, I have never met a mere mortal. And hmm. he says that empires come and go, nations rise and fall, buildings will not be here forever. Um, but the people that we live with every day the people that we argue with, the people that we resent, um, the people that we love, they are all eternal beings. And I think that's a little bit about what Paul is getting at. As we lose our perspective when we just argue with people and we we think about, um, and again, like love America, super patriotic guy, the country's not going to be here yeah. in probably a few hundred years. Maybe it lasts longer, maybe it doesn't, but there, there will come a time. And I'm not talking about like the, like, like that. I'm not saying there come a time, like there will come a time that the sun will die. Like we all know that's yeah. coming, but that's a long way away. Um, there's a time not that far away, probably where the U S ceases to exist, though, at least the way that we know yeah. it. And, and realistically, it, will, it won't be in many of our lifetimes Yeah, yeah. because but, of the way empires rise and fall. And we see that historically, we see that trend, but I totally get what you're saying. And, and I'm totally going to cut you off because um, you said we we lose our perspective, and I think it's important to 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 realign and understand. Like when we talk perspective, we're not talking about just how we view each other. It's not just like the C.S. Lewis thing is is smart, and it's but what that statement was rooted in is his understanding of 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 Evan. As I'm looking at you across this table, it's you are you are created in God's image. Right. It's it's whose you are, and it's easy to to forget that whether you're on the right or the left, Trump and Biden are image bearers of God. Yep. It's in, I mean, you're, when, when, when you were reading it, I was like, dang, bro. Like my first thought went to not my president or let's go Brandon. Right. And if you don't know what those things are, they're, they're relevant cultural things happening right now or that have happened in the last four years to either president. One means F Joe Biden, 
which is let's go Brandon because a commentator thought they were saying, oh man, they're saying let's right. go Brandon. No, they were they they were clearly saying F Joe Biden. Or you have this this degrading, de- defacing, racist, derogatory comments about President Trump and this statement of like, well, not my president. And the arrogance of individuals, my here's the deal. I'm not pointing fingers because I'm just as guilty. Okay. I ha- I'm I'm a broken, sinful wretch, but I was reading, I've been reading the Sermon on the Mount. I talked about this a little bit last week, I think. Um, and one of the things that I read today was the idea of, of a light. Like Jesus, when he came mm-hmm. and says, I'm the light, it's this allusion to, it's brilliant. Like, I wish we could jump into this, but we're not going to. But when Jesus sets it up and says, I'm the light of the world in Matthew chapter five, verse 16, it's, there's so much going on in this passage that, that is, if, if we were to stop and really dive into it, we could really understand clearly. But um, I, I jumped into the commentary because I want to read this because this is the picture and the challenge that we have as Christians that Jesus modeled for us. We cannot be like the world around us. We are not called to be like the world. And I'm, and I'm a little riled up and passionate about this because it's so stinking true. I cannot tell you how many times my heart breaks for, for the world as we know it because Christians have taken a political stance and have become like the world around them based upon their personal perspectives. And when we lose sight of whose we are as God's children, we lose the ability to influence the world as God intends us to. Uh, and so I'm going to read this, I'm going to read this paragraph real quick for us uh, because it's, it's very applicable here. And again, this ties into what Paul is challenging Titus is the reality of as a follower of Jesus, here's what it means. Um, and so this is coming out of the preaching the word commentary, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's talking about Matthew five sixteen, where it says, uh, "Oh no, no, sorry." It's referring to Matthew five sixteen, but it's talking out of the passage in, in Matthew. And now I'm getting confused in the things. So, anyways, all that to say, Sermon on the Mount talks about the light of the world. It says this: Our Lord is very explicit about this. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is a command, not a suggestion. Jesus says, "Quote unquote: If you if you are light, then shine." This is not an option. Let us keep the emotion of this imperative before us as we consider what he says. And this is what I love about it. This is what was so challenging to me today. It says, the mode of shining, he tells us, is quote unquote, good deeds. The word he uses is kalos, which carries the idea of attractiveness or beauty, rather than the more common agathos, which means good and quality. Jesus wants our light to shine through beautiful, attractive works. And the way we use our words, the reason why I bring this up is because it hit me as we're talking. Like This is what I read this morning. When, when Paul's challenging Titus and the, the, the Cretans, when he's challenging these people, he's saying, this is how we are to live. We shouldn't look like the world, guys. I'm sorry. I mean, forgive me for preaching or getting on a soapbox. We're not called to look like the world. And the moment we choose to look like the world and act like the world and speak like the world and join in the let's go Brandon chance or the not my president chance. We are taking the light that we're called to be and we're muddying it. We're taking the light we're called to be and we're hiding it. And the commentator, the, the author of the commentary makes some strong statements about stuff like that. But what, what in essence he's challenging us is, and, and all this spark from your simple phrase, the perspective. <laughs> it's when we lose sight of who God is, of who Christ was when he walked this earth and who we're supposed to be. Christians means little Christs where we're image bearers, we're ambassadors of Jesus, the hope, the message, the person of the Godhead. When we lose sight of that perspective, it's really easy to fall victim and pray to a worldly perspective. 
and we give in to this tension. And so I think it's very important. I, I love that, 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 that statement from that commentary, the idea of kalos, beautiful and attractive. How we carry, how we speak, how we live is meant to be beautiful and attractive in the works we do and the words we say. That's what it means to be a light as Christ has called himself excuse me, the light of the world. So it's just the tension that I feel inside of me yeah. as I'm reading through scripture. Well, it's kind of like, I just can't imagine, I can't imagine getting to eternity and Jesus just saying like, hey, look, I know that you never told that friend about me um, or shared the gospel with them, but I'm really proud of you for sharing your political beliefs and bringing them over to your side. Like it's, you know what I mean? But like, it, but that's a perspective thing yeah. because right yeah. now, in the in the the world that we live in and in in, on this side of eternity, it's such an important thing. But when we think through the lens of eternity, um, we're arguing with immortal people, and that's why I was bringing up the C.S. Lewis quote. We're arguing with people where the most important thing that we should be thinking about is Christ, yeah. is eternity. his gospel, and all these other things that we argue about. And I, I, I don't, this is this shouldn't just be a politics thing. This can be anything. Like the pe- like the neighbor that we get mad at for even just like, you know, the way their tree jumps into our yard and we have to constantly ask them to prune whatever these things are, like the people that we get frustrated with, uh, the people that we don't get along with, all these different things. Um, The idea is there's something so much more important than the disagreements that we have with people. Um, And what Paul is telling Titus is remind your church to set examples. They shouldn't be people who are constantly arguing. They shouldn't be people who are um, just driving people away from Christ. Yeah. And I think that's what, unfortunately, that's what a lot of Christians and a lot of churches do, where they're so focused on things that are, and not, it's not that they're not important, but they're things that are not of the utmost importance that before non-believers set foot in a church or before they ever hear you talk about Jesus, they've already written you off because yeah. of the way that you've treated them. The way that we've, I don't want to say you, the way that we treat people, because this is not like me and Aaron on a soapbox saying yeah. that we're awesome at this. So No, and I think, I think that bleeds into modern day conversations as well, social media posts, everything we're sharing. Like the reality is our job is to be a light and to understand that way we, we shine light. Um, is through is through staying connected to the source of our light, um, but it's it is everything we do matters and everything we say matters, and it's either drawing people closer or it's pushing people away. I don't think there's a middle ground, uh, even more so today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we just have to be mindful. And here's the deal: I don't I don't think one political preference is better than the other. I think both political preferences have a legitimate case for the furthering and the betterment of mankind. And their own blind spots as well. Absolutely, own blind spots. But to say it's, and I think you and you and I had this conversation multiple times during the last couple of years. Offline, obviously, we never really talked about it here because this is a Bible podcast, not a political podcast. Um, and you would run circles around me in the political conversations, but um, there's a lot more similarities between the both both parties than, than anybody would actually let you believe. Right. Um, So I just think it's really important to understand as Christians, to know our role as ambassadors, we're representing Christ, everything we do, how we treat the grocery store clerk who mischarged us or double charged us, or how we treat the server who isn't, isn't a catering to my drink choice fast enough because it's ice and and soda water now because it's been melted. Like how we treat others, the person who cut us off, and that's a joke we always have here at the church, right? You get cut off. How do you respond? Like, it's all of these things 
understanding, like at the end of the day, Christ is what matters. Right. And if they're eternal beings, eternity was what matters. It's our then job to invite them and hope that they get crossed into that line of eternity to live with Christ, not live separated from him. So mm-hmm. um, it is that tension that I think we all have to wrestle through. And I love that, that Paul is addressing it with Titus to lay that foundation. But again, this is ongoing. We will always have this conversation. And every time I read that passage, I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me today um, because I'm, I'm just as broken without Jesus. So. Yeah. All right. So there you go. That was our, that was much longer than anticipated, but that was kind of the meat of Titus there. Um, the ending, I always love these passages because there are people who would argue that Titus and the Timothy letters are actually not Pauline because the, the style is slightly different. Um, but it's to me, when you, when you read ancient manuscripts that are clearly pseudonym. I forgot how to say that word. Basically, they're not written by the actual person they're pretending to it. The famous one being the Gospel of Thomas. They read very differently, and they also don't include passages like this, which is how the, the all, a yeah. lot of the letters of Paul le- end, where it says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos their way, see that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help uh, help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who, are with the, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So that 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 there that's not that's not made up. Like no. that is that is just the most boring. Um, like hey, by the way, uh, these guys are gonna the guys who I'm bringing with the let with the letters. Um, if you could all meet me at this place, this is where I'm gonna be um, when I want to spend the winter. Also, this guy is gonna come along. Do your best to speed him along. Uh, just make sure that they get taken care of. Like it's just like these yeah. weird logistics at the end of the letter, which. It's like, oh, here's some task list things. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't forget this, this, and this. Right. It reminds me of it reminds me of genealogies or the sections of the first five books of the Bible where it's just talking about, and then the tabernacle was this many cubits, and it was used this or like, yeah, it's it's all those sections of the Bible where they can be kind of boring to read, um, and we oftentimes skip through them. But what it really is to me is showing the its internal evidence of the validity of the documents that. Obviously, like a personal letter, it would include stuff like that. Uh, it would be like this big, grand idea of like, here's what I want for you, but also here's some rant, last minute details I'd like you to take care of. So that's there's not like a ton to as far as like practical application to your life yeah. in that last part, but I think it's something for all of us to keep in mind. All right. it, it shows. It also shows the personal, like the personal engagement that Paul had with the, his who he was writing to. He wasn't. He wasn't blanketly universally writing to a bunch of different random people. He knew who he was writing to and intentionally wanting to communicate specific things to them. Um, and, and so when he ends letters like this, it actually just shows that personal reality and that personal touch of, I know who I'm writing. I have a relationship with who I'm writing to. Um, and I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to care for you. And I want, I want, I, in essence, I believe in you and I want you to succeed. So it shows that layer of, it's not just Paul on a soapbox preaching to whoever's going to listen, but he's writing very specific things to a very specific audience. And I think that's big too. Yep, there you go. All right. Well, before we move on to our question today, we do just want to remind you to go ahead and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, just helps get the podcast out there to more people and grow this community of people reading the Bible together. So my feelings are a little hurt. I asked for someone to leave a review and no one did. So oh it's okay. Goodness. Forgiveness is a big deal. I'm forgiving, but leave us a review, please. There you go. I, I'm getting kind of bored looking at the same same ones. So I know. Would love would love to hear some more thoughts. 
Um, if you don't like it, send me a personal email, aden at grove.church. But I uh, would love for you to leave a review. All right. So our question today, it says, good morrow, fair gentles of the podcast Shire. Thank you. Uh, maybe I'm a little confused. No, I, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's see here. Je- you have mentioned in the past that Jewish leaders missed the signs about Jesus as the Messiah. We always brush it off as being related to their desire to twist things to preserve their position as leaders of, Jewish, of the Jewish religion. But was it really that simple? We often talk about how it was missed because they were expecting a soldier king. Why? What scriptures were they focusing on? Okay. This is a really good question. Um, and I think it's... Again, very applicable to us today yeah. because I think there's a lot, there's a, there's kind of a pet section of Christianity that can also get carried away with this. So um, I think, I don't think it's as much purposeful twisting as much as it was honestly misunderstanding what God is getting at. Um, now, I think there's some of it. I think especially like the Sadducees, they don't seem to be true believers as much as they are kind of just like political powers, but the Pharisees, not great people. um, And they have a ton of shortcomings, but I I will say for them that they, they seem to be, they, they seem to actually hold their beliefs legitimately and their problems with Jesus stem mostly from um, him clashing with their pre-held beliefs. Their beliefs are wrong and it's wrong of them to hold on to them like they do, but it's not necessarily, I don't, I don't view most of them as kind of this power grabbing section, if that makes sense. Um, I think there's a lot of parallels between how Jews in the lead up to Jesus viewed the Messiah and how a lot of us Christians today view the second coming of Christ. Um, I think it's a reminder that Paul had to remind the Thessalonians that Jesus might not be coming back as soon as they thought, because the the inference or the uh, the implication of the letter I always get that word mixed up. Uh, the implication of the letter is that a bunch of them had just kind of quit their jobs and that just they were laying around waiting for Jesus <laughs> to come back. And Paul's like, "Hey, I think you guys are misunderstanding exactly what's happening here. Work, go back to work." Yep, and even some of the uh, disciples, it is early on, especially, it seems like they clearly thought that Jesus was coming back. In their lifetimes, like it yeah. was not going to be this. I think as time goes on, they started to realize, like, oh wait a second, I think, I think Jesus wants his church to spread for a while before yeah. he actually does anything, or not. I shouldn't say that, but before he returns. Um, so there's that idea, and then I, I also think this: we are very apt to look for the future of what God will do in the past, and so there's a promise of a Messiah of a kingdom that's coming. I honestly don't blame any Jew for reading that and looking back on, okay, well, like the judges, when God would raise up a judge and he would bring the armies of Israel together and God would miraculously, you know, use Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites, or he would use Samson to defeat the Philistines. And there will one day be a Messiah that is the greatest of all these heroes of Israel who will lead us against our enemies one final time. Like in 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 our modern Christian worldview, we recognize that that is not at all what God was getting at. I don't blame a single person for like when God's, you know, because that's, that's kind of the language that is used. And then when you look back on, well, this is how God did it before. What they didn't anticipate is that God was doing something completely new through Jesus. Um, and so I think a big fault of it isn't necessarily in how they thought, because I think I think if I was living in that time, that's also how I would have thought. I think I would have believed the same thing that a lot of the Pharisees believed, that this is what God was promising. The, the, I think the biggest fault is that when they were confronted with the truth, they weren't willing 
um, they weren't they weren't willing to change their minds. So they and they didn't realize how much of I mean to go back to the early example they didn't realize how much of what they believed were barnacles and not actually the true the true ship. Um, I think for us today, we don't know what the second coming is going to look like. We're given we're given hints all throughout the Bible. We have ideas of what it's going to be, but I think it would be foolish of us to look at how so many Jewish scholars and believers got it wrong and think to ourselves, but obviously we're not going to get it wrong. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. And so that's not, not necessarily, that wasn't necessarily the question you were asking. Um, that's what kind of came to my mind is that I think the mistake they made is they thought that they knew exactly what God's plan was. And I think I see a lot of us today as Christians making that same mistake where we think we know where God is going. Yeah. And I, I actually would totally agree. Um, I think it's not so much that they were focusing on certain scriptures that would talk about the soldier king. Um, you got to remember culture and the, and the, the context with which they were, um, I guess, growing in their understanding and knowledge of, of faith and the promises of God. It was, I mean, God was giving them territory and land through a king or a judge or a leader that would go and conquer, that would go and take over. And, and so when their interpretation, their understanding, this is how God has always worked and God, how, how God has provided for these people, which in turn should then, this is how he's going to continue working. And God's, I mean, we say this nowadays, I think a modern a statement that I've heard is that, you know, God doesn't work to formula. And, and so I don't think it's so much that they were focusing on these scriptures. I think that they were, they were passing on oral tradition of what is true, what the, what the scriptures told them. And then also their commentary on those things. It's, it's similar to what Evan and I do. Like we read some scripture, we break it down with, you know, as much intelligence and as much humility as we can, but we also share our opinions. We also share our perspectives. We also share uh, our thoughts and interpretations of what it means. And to be honest with you, we could find out 10 to 15 to 20, 30, 40 years from now, we were totally wrong um, in, in our approach or our understanding. But as of right now, like we're just trying to be honest and, and transparent, but also good stewards of scripture and to help lead. And so I think that's what the I think that's what the early religious leaders were doing. They were passing on things to one another. And in that became this, I know more and more and more and more. And scripture is very clear. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so I think that there was just this disconnected that they knew so much that they were looking for specific th- signs to be checked off that they they lost the subtlety of some of those signs being checked off. They lost the, um, the they just missed it. I think they were caught up in so many other things, and it's easy to miss. I'll be honest with you. How many times do I miss? Oh, that was God speaking to me, or that was right. God leading me based upon the busyness, my busyness of my schedule, or whatever. Uh, and so I just think they missed it. I, I don't think their intention was to build their own religion or to do their own thing. I think their intention, which is why they established these extra laws or commands, so to speak, was to help people live righteously so they could experience and see God. And and I think they're in good intentions is is sometimes the, the worst offender. And so um, I, I think that's the biggest thing. There was a misunderstanding and they missed it. Right. Not they and they were not actively set in opposition against it. And and the scriptures that that they they just I mean God was God was the defender. God was the fighter. He was the one who vengeance his mind, says God. You know, God was the one who cast out peoples of different countries and different territories for the sole purpose of establishing his people. And so when they think God's going to, Jesus is going to come back and establish, or the Messiah is going to come, sorry, because they didn't, they missed Jesus, but the Messiah is going to come and establish his kingdom. 
they thought at, of it from a, a temporal standpoint, a human standpoint, and missed the missed the, the the heaven, the eternal piece to it. And so, um, I just think it's it's human. It's part of human nature. Uh, and so I think that that's, that's kind of more, I would say that that's more of my gut level case yeah. when it comes to this. Well, I think, sorry, this is, we're going a little bit longer this week. So this is the last thing and then we can wrap it up. But one thing that occurred to me while you were talking is also not realizing, not realizing how much of your man-made doctrine is not scripture is not actually taught by God. And so with the Pharisees, like you said, they were making their own laws, they're making their own rules, but Keep in mind, like the from Malachi to Jesus is 400 years. That is a really long time. That is longer. Like 400 years ago is. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have. Uh, 16? Yeah, 1621, right? Is 400 years ago? Yeah, 1621 is 400 years Good ago. Job. All right. Listen, we just had a big event. Our brains are still a little bit. It's true. Okay. But, anyways, point being, in 1621, the United States as a nation did not exist. Yeah. Um, the continent of the Americas was essentially being explored. Like there were still a lot of parts of it that weren't mapped. The world was completely different. Um, traditions and things like that can slip in very easily. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about how much of our theology of Satan is hmm. uh, medieval. And when I say medieval, I don't mean, I, I mean, literally like it's from stories. Times. Yeah. The medieval times kind of incorporating those things, Dante's Inferno, like the idea that, um, Satan is in charge of hell and torturing people. That is not a biblical idea. That's a medieval idea. Um, that's like how they would paint the picture. Um, the idea of like this really built up backstory of like Lucifer is the choir director of the of heaven and all these different things happen. Well, those are stories. Like the Bible is very, very, very vague on the origins of Satan because honestly, he's not the focus of the Bible. Um, but it's just it's funny to me because that's just an example of a way that a lot of us, and for me, for like for years, I took those stories as, oh yeah, that's in the Bible somewhere. Um, but you don't realize that that's actually just tradition. And I think with a lot of people, mm. when Jesus comes around, they're like, well, no, he, he's disagreeing with scripture when actually he's disagreeing with human tradition that we built up, but we don't realize that that's what we had done. So... Anyway, sorry. Well, we got we got really sidetracked on this episode. So, Titus is a good book. It's true. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, dear listeners, beloved listeners, hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, we're a little bit longer this week, but hey, you know, that's just that's just the kind of guys. I guess last week, you know, we did a what? What are we thinking about? So it's been it's been a lot of tangents these last few weeks. Hey. But yeah, there you go. But anyway, uh, this is a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can go online and find all of our other resources at grove.church. Um, and also, if you'd like to financially contribute uh, to the ministry of The Grove Church, you can do that on the website as well. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. Yeah, thanks. Have a great day. See you.